Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds. On May 31st and June 1st, hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. Lawmakers in Olympia are considering a bill that would improve working conditions for strippers. Activists are planning a rally at the State House today. In a minute, KUOW's labor and economy reporter Monica Nicholsberg will tell us more. But first, let's get you caught up. Speaking of Olympia, legislators will take up the so-called Parents' Bill of Rights on Wednesday. Under Initiative 2081, parents would be allowed to review textbooks and curriculum. Let's Go Washington, a conservative group backed by hedge fund manager Brian Haywood, funded the signature gathering effort. The King County Prosecutor's Office will have more details today about a plan to help make schools safer. Last month, prosecuting attorney Lisa Mannion said her office would work to coordinate resources and strategies for interventions at the student, school, district, and statewide levels. And if you're out and about today, be prepared for a wintry mix of snow and rain. The National Weather Service says it'll be wet and chilly all week. That's it for now. Make sure to join Paige Browning tonight for Evening Headlines. Lots of bills fighting for their life during the final weeks of the legislative session in Olympia. One that's still getting a look from lawmakers is a stripper's bill of rights. Dancers say the state's regulations stack the deck against them financially and make them less safe. Monica Nicholsberg covers labor and business for KUOW. She's here to tell us more. Monica, glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. So let's talk about this just a bit more. What's behind this latest effort to change the law? So there's a group of activists called Strippers Are Workers, and they've been advocating for changes in their industry since 2018. They say that it has a lot of problems. It has for a long time. And they've reached a crisis point since the pandemic when their workplaces were closed for two years. Let's help listeners understand a little bit more about the business structure here for performers who strip. In Washington, they pay the club to work, and these club fees are a big part of this bill. So let's talk about why and what might change. Yeah, they basically pay to rent the stage or hold their spot, kind of like a hairdresser renting their chair in a salon. Now, those fees are standard in the industry, but in Washington, they're higher. Casey Champion, for example, has danced in a number of cities, and she said in Las Vegas she paid about $80 a night. In Portland, about 40 or sometimes even as low as 25. Mm. But in Seattle, on the other hand, I paid about $185 a day. Now, that was regardless of if I made money. So if I showed up that day and didn't have any just cash in my pocket and I didn't make any money, then I could put my debt down. And that debt is also something that's pretty unique to Washington. She said sometimes dancers would rack up thousands of dollars in debt to the club. This bill would change that. It would cap the fees that they pay to 30% a night or 150 a night, depending what's less. And it would say that the clubs can't charge interest or late fees on that back rent. Safety is a big concern for these performers. What's in the proposal that would address safety concerns, Monica? 
Well, it would require a security guard to be on duty. And other things like panic buttons anytime customers are somewhere alone with dancers, blacklists for dangerous customers, mandatory sexual harassment and trafficking training for all employees. But dancers say for all of these issues to be fully addressed, alcohol needs to be legalized in their workplace. Okay, it's interesting to me that alcohol is the center of this, Monica. The original bill would have done away with the ban on alcohol, and it has since been amended. Let's talk about where things stand. Yeah, so Washington is the only state in the country with this complete ban on alcohol in strip clubs, and that makes it really hard for them to make money. The ban is part of this liquor and cannabis board rule that details different types of lewd conduct that cannot happen at places that serve alcohol, like nudity, for example. Mm. It's actually the same rule that was an issue when queer bars were inspected last month. And so now strippers and LGBTQ activists are um, fighting for a repeal of this rule together. And that was an original part of the bill. It, It would have struck down the lewd conduct rule and told the board to create a liquor license for strip clubs. But, you know, legislative process being what it is, it was amended in the House and The newest version of the bill modifies that lewd conduct rule, so places like queer bars wouldn't get in trouble for a bartender showing a nipple. But the path to alcohol sales in strip clubs still remains murky. Activists are hoping to get the rule repealed, though. They they think that there's still time to do more amendments and get the strip club directive that says they can get a liquor license added back in. I think we need to talk about this a little bit more because it sounds counterintuitive that you want to put together maybe new dancers with alcohol. That sounds like a bad situation, but it is actually, from their perspective, more dangerous to not have alcohol in clubs. And I think we need to talk more about why. Yeah, it does sound a little counterintuitive. But what dancers say is that right now, the club's only real way to make money is off of their backs. With alcohol, fees would be lower and dancers would be treated more like partners, according to Madison Zakwu, the campaign manager with Strippers Are Workers. Without any customer volume and without any food or drink or entertainment to sell, we are the commodity. Now, there's two more reasons dancers say alcohol service is really important. One, they want more casual customers. So without alcohol, they don't really get a lot of bachelor parties or girls' nights out or, you know, people kind of wandering in for a drink and a a fun time. Instead, what they mainly get is men on their own who are looking for more of the girlfriend experience, more of a relationship with them. And then lastly, although it sounds counterintuitive, they say that alcohol would make them safer because customers are still coming in drunk. They drink in their cars or at bars next door. But if the club isn't the one serving them, then they can't really cut them off or monitor how much they've had. They could still kick somebody out, theoretically, if they were acting drunk or aggressive. But dancers say that doesn't really happen because there's so few customers there in the first place. They're actually encouraged to dance with customers, even if they are known to be violent. Yeah, you point this out in your story that, you know, dancers say if clubs could make more money selling alcohol, they could hire more security guards. They would not be put in this odd position of trying to hold on to customers who are not behaving well. Right. And, you know, this is their workplace. And they say that it could go out of business if all of these other regulations are put in place and they don't have alcohol as a way to make money because it does cost money to employ security guards to do training. You know, these things add up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Monica, people who have moved here from other states might find it pretty surprising alcohol isn't allowed in strip clubs here. What's that about? 
you know, you're right. It is surprising. The strip clubs in Seattle are a very different vibe than, say, Portland, where it kind of feels more like a bar. You know, there's usually mixed gender audiences and there happens to be live entertainers who are in some state of undress. So in Washington, this nudity rule dates back to the 70s. And it used to be a more conservative place. You know, we think of Washington as very true blue and that it always has been. But that kind of was more of a product of the first tech boom. You know, in the 70s, it was a different kind of constituency. And the truth is just that these laws are old and updating them hasn't really been a priority. Sex workers' rights are really only starting to become part of the discussion in progressive politics. And historically, it just hasn't really been a very winning political issue. Sure. Okay. Well, Monica, what did you hear from strip club owners about this bill? Well, I reached out to pretty much all of them. There are not that many strip clubs in Washington, so it wasn't that hard. Um, None of them were willing to talk to me. There's a lobbyist representing them. He also declined to comment. But in public testimony, he said that the club owners are broadly supportive of the goals. They had some reservations about how realistic some of the training and security requirements are. Um, But, you know, at that point, I think the thing that they were probably most supportive of was the alcohol provision. Mm -hmm. And it's just unclear whether or not that's going to survive. Okay, what would dancers want people to know about their effort? You know, a lot of the strippers that I talked to told me that they like the work. And they're very resentful of this idea that they can't give consent, that they would only be doing this job as a last resort of people assuming that they're victims. That is sort of the mentality, they say, that goes into a lot of these regulations. And they say that it's infantilizing. I mean, here's how Madison Zach Wu puts it. So many dancers now and so many dancers in the future will be People like me who have really amazing and good reasons to be stripping and will need to go into strip clubs. And I don't think the industry is innately bad, but the Washington industry absolutely is not where it should be. So Madison is still really involved and the rest of the organization is in trying to get the final bill across the finish line. And she's hoping that the alcohol legalization can be added back in. All right, Monica, and we'll be following this to see where it ends up this year. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Trish. Monica Nicholsberg is KUOW's labor and economy reporter. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now, and extra thanks to the listeners who financially support this show. Today's episode was produced by Andy Hurst. It was edited by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Our production team also includes Paige Browning, Claire McGrain, and Vaughn Jones. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you later. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.